many of you would say that you are a good gift giver? Like, how many of you say, like, I'm good at giving gifts? All right, I, there's like four people. I want to be your friends. Just want to say that. Uh, gifts have got to be my love language. Actually, I think my love languages are meat and gifts. And so, like, you combine those two things, it's even better. Like, that's just how I'm spoken to. And so while I love gifts, one of the things I have, I've had to grow in was, was being a gift giver in myself. Like, I love to give gifts, but I, sometimes it's taken me a little bit to learn, like, what kind of gifts to actually give. So when my wife and I, we were newlyweds, I, I, maybe we were married for a year or something like that, um, I was like, man, I got to go and get my wife something awesome because, you know, gifts is how you show love, right? And so um, I, I go to Fred Meyer's because that's where all the nice stuff is, right, Fred Meyer. I go to Fred Meyer. It was on Christmas Eve. But I want to warn you, like, I'm not that guy that waits to the last minute. It was at least, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I wasn't waiting till like, 5 or 6 at night. Like, it was earlier in the day just to justify myself. And so I'm at Fred Meyer's, and I'm like, I don't even know what to buy my wife. Like, like, what do I buy her? And so I'm like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll go to the, like, the women's section. There's got to be something in the women's section, right? So I go in this woman's section, and there's these tables full of just, like, gifts. And I saw this, like, gift basket. And I was like, look at this gift basket. It's a $120 value on sale for $39.99. Like, man, my wife would be like, that's amazing, right? She's getting all this stuff that's got a greater value. That's got to be what I, I don't know what was in the basket. I just saw the value of it, and I'm like, boom, boom done. She's, that's got to speak love to her, right? Take the basket home. She opens it. Uh, and it started out good. There was, um, I don't remember exactly, I think there was some of like that uh, oatmeal like, like lotion stuff. I don't know, a girly thing, like oatmeal in the, I don't know, soap, something like that. Uh, there was one of those bath bombs, you know, like a food coloring you put in the bath, so it does that. Um, and then as she starts uh, continuing to open up this basket, there was um, an oil filter and four quarts of oil. There was um, a bag of beef jerky, and there was a copy of the DVD Rambo First Blood. Like, everything a woman wants for Christmas, right? Maybe it wasn't that bad, but it was bad. It was bad. Uh, I, I will say, I think I've gotten better at giving gifts. You can ask Samantha about that. I've gotten better at it. But that was one of those times where uh, she learned that if she wants a good gift, she needs to be clear in what she asks for, right? How many of you have ever uh, received a, a gift maybe that you weren't excited for because you weren't really clear on what you wanted in the first place? We've all probably been there. It's, we've all probably learned it's good for us to be clear. Hey, honey, here's what I want. Here's what you can buy me. In fact, now my wife, she'll actually say, here's what I want. Here's where you get it. Here's a, here's a coupon code to get another 5% off, and it goes like that. But let me ask you this idea on being clear, in terms of your faith, in terms of your relationship with God, how many, of, how, many of, how many of you have ever thought, like, I wish God would be just a little bit more clear? How many of you ever wrestled in your faith and just thought, man, I wish God was a little bit more clear on what he expects of me? I wish the Bible was a little bit more clear. I wish I, wish I could understand it. Like, how many of us have ever wrestled with these thoughts, like, I wish God was just a little bit clear? Because today... Uh, we're going to move into a controversial topic in Christianity, a, a, a topic that has brought a lot of confusion to the church. 
We're going to deal with the, the, the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. Now, I'll be honest, in, in a church like ours, we have people all over the place on this issue. There are some people who, who have taken what the Bible teaches on these things, and they've gone way beyond it. These are the people that have circled this date on the calendar. We're like, I cannot wait for pastor to preach this. I hope he goes far enough. And then there are some people, uh, sometimes in reaction, that they've gone beyond what the Bible teaches in denying the presence of these things. These are people that circle the date on the calendar, have been praying and praying and say, God, 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 let him skip this text. Let us, let us skip these issues. And so you have this, 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 these heirs. You have one side that's an heir of embracing more than what the Bible teaches. On the other side, you have this heir of not embracing as much as the Bible teaches. So just on this idea that sometimes there can be confusion on this topic, I want to be clear. I want to give you good news that I believe the Word of God contains all that God intended. Contains all that God intended to say on this matter of tongues and prophecy. That God has given us all that we need to understand tongues and prophecy and how they play out in the church. The primary text that we find this in is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And what's interesting is we're going to have this conversation today about tongues and prophecy. What's interesting is, is this chapter is a rebuke against a church that has been misusing the gift of tongues. That's what this chapter is all about. And so I want to be clear this morning that my goal is that us as a church, that we would be open to all that the Holy Spirit would want to do through us. Whether that be speaking in tongues or, or giving prophecy, but I also want us to do so in the way that the Bible instructs us, within the guidelines and, and uh, the, the boundaries that the Bible gives us on these two issues. So we're going to start with uh, the gift of tongues. Uh, and I tell you, this is one of those things I really had to wrestle with this text this week. And I think, uh, I think what you find in this text is there are two different types uh, of tongues. The first tongue is a, is a missional tongue, uh, what I'm calling a missional tongue. This is when, when someone uh, doesn't know a language, but they are supernaturally given the ability to speak this language to another person so that they, they, they can know and hear about Jesus. And so this is the idea, sometimes I have a hard enough time just speaking English, but this is the idea that, that if, if there was someone in here who spoke German and God wanted to uh, speak to them, that God might give one of us the gift of tongues to speak in a language that we don't know so that person can hear in their own language and learn about Jesus. In fact, this is what Paul said in verse 21. Paul said in verse 21, this says, By people of strange tongues and lips of foreigners will I speak this to the people. That there's this actual language that people hear in their own uh, language so they can understand. In fact, verse 22 says that this type of, uh, of tongue, this missional tongue, uh, he says it is specifically for unbelievers, not for believers. And so when we think about the spiritual gift, this is a gift that is used for the, the mission of the church so that other people would come to know and worship Jesus. The best example of this, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the, the day the Holy Spirit descended upon the Jews, descended upon the disciples. On that day, the day of Pentecost, uh, the, uh, they were celebrating in Jerusalem. The Jews were celebrating at the Feast of, of Weeks. 
which is where the faithful Jews from all over the known world, they come to Jerusalem to gather uh, and celebrate the harvest. And so here in Jerusalem, you've got all these people from all over the world. They've come together in one location. All these people from different tongues, different uh, uh, languages. And here's what it says in verse 4. As the, as the disciples were filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues through the Spirit. And verse 6, the people were bewildered because they were hearing them speak in their own language. That these were human languages that were unknown to the speaker, but they were given the supernatural ability to speak that tongue so people could hear in their own language about Jesus. What, what, what happens next, verse 13, I love this. The people, they're like, what does this mean? And the people are like, man, these guys are drunk. They're like, there's no way they can talk like this. They're drunk. And, and Paul's response is, hey, these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Like, that's not going to happen. They're not drunk. Listen, I know that doesn't stop some people. I, like, you know who you are. You had your breakfast beer this morning. But in most situations, 9 a.m. is a little early. So Paul says, listen, they aren't drunk. This is God's doing. That these tongues, uh, they are a praise to God in their own language. This was a sign that God was trying to, to draw people into a relationship with him so that they would follow him. That is this idea of a missional tongue. Let me be honest, like I, I've heard this happening. I can't say I've seen this in my own life. I think the closest example I can give you, the closest example that I can give you is, is um, when we went to Mexico this summer. When we went to Mexico on a mission trip this summer, uh, man, we had a great trip. There was 14 of us here from Restoration Church. We got to go down to Mexico and, and love some families down there. On our trip, this is what we had. We had one person who was fluent in Spanish. And we had a bunch of people who had taken Spanish in high school, who had used some, high, some Spanish at some point, who, who had taken a couple classes. None of us were, were really great at it, though. And so here we are down in Mexico. We're loving all these families. And, and the coolest thing for this is the end of the trip, uh, our, our host, his name is Dwight Hires. He's the missionary down there. He gathers us together and he says, hey, I wanted to encourage you in this. He said, as a group, you guys were the most prepared to speak the language out of all the groups that we've had that come and visit us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we've got one fluent person and the rest of us speaking Spanglish. And he said, listen, listen, you guys, uh, even though you still needed the interpreter, you guys made the greatest effort. And the people understood that. I believe that God had given us an example of the gift of tongues. That we could communicate to the people of a language different than us and that God could communicate to them. The love that he had for them. It was a beautiful thing. I think this is a, an idea of a missional tongue. But in light of that, I think as you look in this text, I think there's a, a second type of tongue that, that Paul's writing about. Again, if we understand that there's this missional style of tongue that's all about the mission, that is benefit non-believers, look, look what he says in verse 2. He says, verse 2, he says, one who speaks in a tongue, who speaks not to men, but to who? To God. Drop down verse 4. Verse 4 says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds who up? Who does he build up? Builds up himself. Okay, now did you hear that? Let me ask you this. Who are the spiritual gifts for? Are the spiritual gifts for you? Are the spiritual gifts for you to say, look how awesome I am? 
Are they to, to, for, for you to, to build yourself up and to grow in your faith? No. We've talked about this. We've talked about the idea of spiritual gifts, that the spiritual gifts are unique and diverse. They're given by God for what? To express the love to one another and to pursue the unity and the mission of the church. That is why we have spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given for that purpose. Yet Paul just said there's this tongue that you're not speaking to others, you're speaking to God. That it's not to build others up, it's to build yourself. So I think there's this, this second type of, uh, of tongues. Uh, something that I would describe as, as a private prayer language. A private prayer language that is uh, 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 something between a, a person and God that is for their own benefit. And see how that is a little different than the rest of the spiritual gifts? How they're not always the, the same thing? And again, when we look at this text, 1 Corinthians 14, I think it is that specific type of prayer language that Paul's trying to rebuke the church in Corinth. Paul's trying to say, listen, you guys have got it all wrong. Let me give you some guidelines. Let me give you some instructions as to what it looks like for you to speak this, 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 this prayer language, this tongue, in the gathering of the local church. So that's what we're going to see. Three specific guidelines that Paul gives to the, the Corinthian church and to us. Um, this is what it looks like when we speak in this type of tongue. Here's some guidelines for us. Number one, not every person is going to speak in tongues. Listen, I, I don't know what you were taught in, in your background, but I think this is just consistent with, with, with what the Bible teaches. That may be contrary to your denominational background, but this is what the Bible teaches, that not every person will speak in tongues. Verse 5, verse five. Paul said, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Let me ask you this, if Paul says this, does that mean everybody speaks in tongues? No. He's saying, I, I wish you could have this experience, but not everybody does it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we said this a couple weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul asks these rhetorical questions. He's writing to the church, and he says, is everybody an apostle? And the answer is, well, no. Is everybody a prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Is everybody a worker of miracles? Does everybody speak in tongues? The rhetorical answer, no. Not everybody does that. First guideline, not everybody's going to speak in tongues. Second guideline is that when this, this tongues, this private prayer language happens in church, there needs to be an interpreter. That's what verse 6 says. It says, when, it, when, when, it come, uh, when you come speaking in tongues, how will you benefit? Again, the reason we gather together is, to, is for, to pursue the unity and the mission of the church. And so what he says is when it comes to speaking in tongues, how will you benefit the church unless someone can understand the revelation, the prophecy, the, the knowledge, the teaching? If nobody understands, how does it benefit the church? And Paul gives this little bit of a word picture and says, imagine there's this, this instrument that's out of tune. Imagine you've got Alec up here playing guitar and his guitar's out of tune. Like, we can't figure out what key to sing in. Like, I can't figure it out anyways, but if his guitar's out of tune, we're all out of luck, right? He says, imagine, imagine there's a trumpet. And when you play the trumpet, there's different sounds for different things. Like, this sound means you uh, charge the hill. This sound means you retreat. And he says, imagine, imagine if that trumpet was just playing random sounds and nobody understood it. Imagine how difficult that would be. 
And Paul said in the same way, if you speak with your tongue and you utter a speech that is unintelligible, how will anyone know what you have said? You will be speaking, but you will be speaking to the air. In fact, verse 28 says it even more clear. He says, if there's no one there to interpret, let each keep silent in church and speak to himself and speak to God. If tongues are going to happen, there needs to be an interpreter. Third guideline for tongues. Sometimes we view uh, this idea of, of, of tongues as an explosion, uh, like something you can't control. Like all of a sudden, the, the Holy Spirit comes over you, and as you're filled with the Spirit, you're, you're out of control and just, just exploding in ecstasy, you know? This, this idea that uh, sometimes we just get overly emotional, overly filled with the Spirit, and, and we just explode. And Paul is going to teach us that tongues is actually something that needs to be controlled. Look at verse 27. Paul says that if the gift shows up in the gathering, if the gift of tongues, this private prayer language, if it shows up in the gathering, if it shows up in the gathering of the church, that only two or maybe three people should speak. There's this idea that there's a little bit of control. It's not just... I'm emotional, I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to go. No, there's control to it, only two or three. In fact, in verse 14, 15, Paul says, listen, if I, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays and my mind would be unfruitful, my mind would be uncontrolled. Verse 15, he says, listen, I pray with my spirit and I also pray with my mind. There's these two things they go together. I sing with my spirit and I also sing with my mind. That when we are, are filled with the Spirit, it engages both our, our mind and our emotions. That absolutely, there's this, this, this power of God uh, that, that He gives us through tongues, but there's also this idea of control, of order, of the structure that comes in the gathering of the local church. In fact, isn't that what Paul said in verse uh, 39 and verse 40? Verse 39 and verse 40, hey, we want to, to speak in tongues. We want to have prophesying, but these things will be done in order. So here's this idea on tongues. I think there's two types of tongues that Paul talks about in this chapter. The first type, listen, both of these are good. Both of these are beneficial. Both of these are needed in the church. This first type, this missional tongue, where we have the ability to speak a language that's not known to us so that others can hear about Jesus. This is like those other spiritual gifts where they're given for uh, the good of the church, for the unity and the mission of the church. Where it's needed. But then there's a second type of tongues, this private prayer language. And this is unlike those other gifts because the Bible teaches it is not primarily for the benefit of the church, it's primarily for the benefit of the individual. And because of that, the reason it's called a private prayer language is primarily used in private. And if it does come into the gathering, Paul gave us these clear guidelines, these clear boundaries. If this is what happens, here's the structure in which it needs to play out. And why is that? Why does Paul give us this idea of structure? Why does he give us these guidelines on the gift of tongues? Well, look at verse 23. Paul says, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and there are outsiders present, if there are non-believers there, there are unbelievers who enter, will they not say, you're out of your minds? Will they not say, you guys are crazy? 
Like, like let me tell you a little bit of my faith story. Uh, when, I, when I grew up, I grew up as a Mormon. And so I came to faith out of the Mormon religion. And let me just say, it doesn't matter what the missionary tells you on the door. They're not the same as us. They're not Christian. It is not the same thing. They do not believe in the same gospel that we believe in. Let me just be clear in that, right? Okay? When I came to faith, I came to faith at a funeral. I went to a funeral. They shared the gospel. And they said, pray this prayer with me. And I was so overwhelmed. I was like, all right, I'll pray the prayer. And I got done. And I was like, I don't even know what I just did. Like, I don't know what, I don't know anything Christian. I'm Mormon. The only Christian thing I knew was there was a, a TV station at home. And so I turned the TV station on. I go home, I turn the TV station on, and there's a guy by the name of Benny Hinn. Maybe you all have heard of him. And literally, like, like I'm not knocking it, but there's Benny Hinn, and, and he's slapping people on the head, and, and people are running around in circles, and there's a guy, there's another guy who's got like this fireball, and he's throwing fireballs at people. Invisible. Like, like I'm like, what the heck did I just do? What the heck did I just sign up for? That was a little bit just, wow. And this is what Paul just said. That when we come together in the body of Christ, when we come and gather together, that there's an order. There's a structure to it. So though people don't think that we're out of our minds, the goal is not that we would be out of our minds. The goal is that people would come and find Jesus and their life would be transformed because of him. And so that's why Paul says, listen, I value tongues. I want to see it. But it needs to be within these boundaries. Because again, the goal is to have order and structure. Listen, tongues, man, it's controversial. We covered it in 10 minutes. If you've got questions... Uh, man, I tell you, what we have on the gift of tongues is we have this chapter of Paul rebuking a church for their misuse of tongues. And so this is a guideline that we have. This is what God has given us. And so I'm going to say, listen, if you have the gift of tongues, we love you. We, we need you. You are welcomed here. I want us to be, be open to all that the Bible would say the Holy Spirit would do through us. But we're also going to do it in the boundaries that God has given us in his word. And so while we spend all this time talking about tongues, while the church spends all this time in this controversy and this disagreement on what does tongues mean, what does it look like, in this same text, it almost seems like Paul is trying to draw our attention away from tongues onto prophecy, right? I mean, did, did you see that as Paul was reading this? I mean, listen to his words. Verse 2, Paul says, listen, when you speak in, the tongue, when you speak in tongues, you are speaking not to men but to God. Verse 3, on the other hand, pro when you speak in prophecy, you are speaking to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, so it says when you speak in tongues, you are building up yourself, but when you prophesy, it builds up the church. Verse 5, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more so, I want you to prophesy. Drop down a couple of verses. I think it was in verse 19 or 18, 19. Paul says, I would rather speak five words that build up the church than a thousand words that nobody understands. See, I think Paul, in the middle of talking about tongues, about giving us guidelines for tongues, I think he's trying to draw our attention to prophecy. 
I think it's trying to say, hey, prophecy is a greater emphasis for the church because it builds up the church. It builds up the gathering of God's people. Question is, well, what is prophecy? Jake did a great job last week uh, giving us definitions for the spiritual gifts. And I would say, we would say that prophecy is this. Prophecy is speaking the truth of God's word into situations and people's, in the lives of other people. It is speaking the truth of God's word into somebody else's life. That is simply what it is. Listen, a couple of things we understand about prophecy. When we are speaking in prophecy, when we're pro- giving a prophecy to somebody, listen, we don't carry the same weight as the word of God does. Our words don't carry the same weight as the word of God. We, we, we don't carry the same weight as scripture. So that means that we don't say things like, thus says the Lord, Right? That belongs in the Bible, not in our prophecy. In fact, remember last week, one of the gifts that, that Jake talked about was the gift of interpretation. The gift of interpretation that helps us to interpret what and where God is really speaking. And so when somebody gives a prophecy, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us not to despise a prophecy, not to despise when somebody speaks truth in their life, but it says to test everything and hold fast to what is good. So let me ask you this. If I come up to you and I say, hey, hey, God told me to tell you this, thus says the Lord, like, how do I respond to that? How am I supposed to respond to that if you're like, this is what God said, amen, period. No, we don't speak like that we when we prophesy we say hey you know i I think the lord laid this on my heart i think this is something he wants you to hear where it's not written in ink it's written in pencil where god can give us an interpretation on that or not second thing about uh spiritual about prophecy the purpose for it the purpose is to build up encourage and console others that's verse three That is the purpose of prophecy, which here's what that means. Here's what that means. It means that God's not going to give you a prophetic word about your stingy, selfish neighbor, about how how God's going to destroy their life if they don't repent. Maybe change neighbor with sister or brother or anyone else in the family that you may want to rebel against. You You know, that means that we don't prophesy like this. We don't prophesy and say, hey, you know, I had a dream last night, and I pictured you apologizing to everybody for being a two-faced liar because that's what you are. Like, that's not what prophecy is. That's not how prophecy works. That's how selfish people use prophecy. But that's not how prophecy works. The beautiful thing about prophecy is, again, it is for the building up, the encouraging, and the consoling of the church. Do you know how much the church needs this? Do you know how much the church needs people to come alongside one another and build up and encourage and console? See, we get really good at hiding it. We get really good at faking it. We get really good at coming to church and kind of putting on a facade. I'm good. Everything's good. You put on a smile, and we fake it. And we are so good at this. Some of us in this room, you know, we we carry a lot of weight. We carry a lot of responsibility. So we put the smile on our face so everybody thinks we're good. When deep down, man, we carry such burdens. If you knew the amount of heartbreak and loneliness and despair 
and sickness and confusion and brokenness, if you knew the amount of that in this room, man, you'd be overwhelmed. Marriages that have been struggling for years. People dealing with sickness for years. Kids, addiction. Like if you knew what was going on. And again, the people around you, they don't say anything. They're just suffering in silence because we just look the part of being a Christian. In addition to that, we have these questions that haunt every one of us because we're human beings. Because as human beings, we wrestle with these types of questions. We wrestle with questions like, am I really loved? Am I really wanted? Is God as disappointed in me as I am, in of, as I am of myself? Has God forgotten me? Does God even see me where I am as I suffer in silence? And sure, we can try and put on our Jesus cape. And we do. We put on our Jesus cape and we put on our smile. But in reality, these questions, they haunt us. And every one of us wrestle with these questions at some point. And I want to give you encouragement. Listen, the Bible is sufficient to answer every one of those questions. That when we wrestle with these ideas, God, am I really loved? God, have you forgotten me? God, are you disappointed in me? Listen, God hasn't left you hanging. God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. And so when I have these thoughts wrestled through my mind, I turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't tell you how many times i got to remind myself of that. That if I am a believer in Christ, there's no condemnation. God's not going to turn his back on me. And I drop down and, and read verse 35 that says, says, God, do you really love me? And verse 35 says, what can separate me from the love of God? Can angels or demons or famine or persecution or poverty or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. And God, God, God speaks to those questions of our heart. He speaks through his word. The book has something to say on these issues. And what prophecy is, is prophecy takes the truth of God's word and helps us just to personalize it, helps us to, to understand it. Where we're wrestling through life, we've got situations, and somebody comes and says, hey, hey, I think God wanted me to share this with you. And he takes the truth of God's word and helps it to become personal. That is, as we step into this role of speaking into people's lives, that we step in to become the hands and the feet of Jesus. And we become the mouthpiece for his word to speak to other people. Listen, I, I've been on the receiving end of this a number of times. And it's powerful. In fact, when I was young, a uh, new Christian, I, I was 19, 20, I don't know how old I was. But there was a youth pastor who, who saw something inside of me, something I didn't know. And he saw something. And our church, they had a need for a, a Sunday school teacher. They had a need for a fourth and fifth grade boys. And he said, Kevin, Kevin, I really think that God would like you to fill that role. And I'm like, I've never done this before. Okay, I guess I'll try it. Man, and I stepped in this Sunday school class. Man, I fell in love with teaching God's word. I fell in love with kids. I, man, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And I look back and how, how that youth pastor saw this prophetic word into my life. He said, Kevin, I think God has, has led you here. And now that has shaped my life to where I am today. That I, I stand up here today pastoring a church 
Because some youth pastor said, hey, I think you should teach a Sunday school class. And God used that to shape the course of my life to where I'm standing up here today. Another example of, of being on the receiving end of, prof- of a prophetic word. Listen, there's a, a weight that comes with serving full-time in ministry. There's a weight that comes with leadership. And, and I'll be honest, there's been times in my leadership where I struggle. At times where I get frustrated. Where I feel like the church is stagnant. I feel like, man, we're just not doing what we need to be doing. And so I, I start trying to do the right things and I work hard. And there's times I just get frustrated. Sometimes it's because I'm playing the comparison game. And I'm talking to other guys. They're like, oh, we had all these amazing things happening. And I'm like, man, we're just doing church. And there's times where I just feel completely worthless. And a friend came up to me, unknown of what was going on in my soul, unknown of what I was wrestling with. He said, Kevin, you know, I was praying, and you came into my mind with a verse out of Matthew 16. He said, I don't know what it means, but I just feel like I need to share. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Man, he didn't know what I was going, what was wrestling in my soul. He didn't know the weight I was feeling, the burden. But man, that right there was so powerful. It consoled me. It encouraged me. It helped me keep my eyes. It's not about me. It's what God said he's going to do. He's going to build this church. There's an incredible value to us learning what it looks like for us to prophesy into people's lives. To speak the truth into people's lives and into their situations. Because I promise you, all around you, all around you, there are people who are suffering in silence. People who are hurting. People who are confused. People who are struggling. In fact, I want to give you a little bit of an assignment this week. I want to give you something to do. Listen, I don't know if this is your gift or not, but I want you to do this each week. I I want you to do this each day this week. Before you leave the house, before you go and do whatever else, I want you to pray and say, God, God, would you bring someone to mind? God, would you, would you bring someone to my mind, anybody? God, would you bring me someone that I can encourage or build up and console? God, would you put someone on my heart to speak life into? When the Spirit gives you that person, the second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray and say, God, God, how would you have me to, to encourage this person? God, what would you give me to say to them? Whatever it is. Pray and ask this thing. Before you go to school, before you go to work, before you go to a meeting, do it next Sunday before you come to church, before you go to life group. God, God, who would you bring to my mind? Who would you call me to encourage or build up or console? Listen, I know some of you, I know some of you are like, man, Kevin, you don't even know what my morning's like. I'm just trying to find my shoes and not kill one of my kids. I get that. But man, there is a tremendous amount of power and influence if we would just take this seriously. God, who would you bring in my mind today? Who would you bring across my path? God, what would you have me to, to do for them? This is more powerful than speaking in a tongue. More impactful. What I'm asking you to do is to do those two things. Pray, God, who? Pray, God, what? 
then I'm going to ask you in obedience to go and do. In obedience to speak truth into someone else's life. To step out in obedience, to speak the truth. Well, what if they think you're crazy? Listen, they already think I'm crazy. It's not that bad of a thing. Really, it's not that bad of a thing. Imagine what God could do if we actually did this. Imagine what God could do. Imagine the lives that could be transformed because we said, God, I want to step into what you would have for me. Imagine who would receive comfort. Imagine whose life would be transformed. Imagine the power that God could unleash. If we stepped into this to say, God, who would you call me today to build up, to encourage your console? Let me just try and bring this to a close. As we've wrestled with this Holy Spirit idea, we spent two and a half months talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'll be honest, I want more of his presence. I want more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our church body. I want more of his power. I want to be open to, to all that the Holy Spirit might do. And I find myself just, just hungry and longing for God to do something amazing, remarkable, to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Listen, I hope that you're in this with me. I hope that you're in the same situation and you're desperate. God, God, I want you to do what only you can do in our midst. Look what Paul says to us. Verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Listen, that's where I'm at. I'm eager for the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. I'm not, I, I, wanna, I don't want to just come and do church. I'm eager and anxious and desperate to see the Spirit of God move in ways that will transform our families, that will transform our church, that will transform our city. I'm, I'm desperate for that. And Paul just said, listen, since, since you're eager for manifestations of the Holy Spirit, here's what you do. The end of verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. He says, you know where, you know where the breakthrough of the Holy Spirit comes from? You know where the power of the Holy Spirit comes from? You know where transformation comes from? It doesn't come from better sermons. It doesn't come from better programs. It doesn't come from better leadership development. It doesn't come from gimmicks. It doesn't come from us taking the, the gospel and making it shallow. It comes when we strive to build up the body of Christ. When we come to church, and no longer do we say church is about me, instead we say church is about us. It's about we. That when we make this commitment to, to build up the body of Christ, it means that every time we come together, we have a mission. We have a purpose. That when we come together, everybody has something to give. Might be a hymn, might be a lesson, might be a prophetic word, might be a tongue. It might be setting up the auditorium. It might be holding babies in the nursery. It might be sitting with somebody who is hurting. It might be rejoicing with those who rejoice. It might be weeping with those who weep. But it means we come to church not to receive, but we come to church with something to give. We pray and say, God, God, would you help me to understand what I'm supposed to do at church today? Listen, I hope you get something out of it. I hope, I hope that the sermons are, are, are relevant to your life. 
I hope that the worship inspires you to, to, to worship God. But I want us to begin to think about what it looks like for us to change the way that we think about church. Not where I come to get. I come to listen. I come to receive. But to change the idea to God, I've come to give. God, who would you have me to serve today? God, who would you bring my mind? Who would you bring to my mind? And what would you have me to say to them? To speak life into their situation. To speak truth into their life. Listen, we need every spiritual gift, including tongues, including prophecy, to express love to one another, to help us pursue the unity and the mission of the church. We said this a couple times in this sermon series, and I'll say it to close out, that real church happens, that we fulfill the mission of God when every one of us comes and becomes a participant not just a spectator, but we become a purchaser.